Welcome to the Guardians of the Game podcast, presented by the National Association of Basketball Coaches, where we go one-on-one with the top minds in college basketball to learn what makes a coach a coach. We want you to come here and everyone's going to work with you here to get your degree, and every guy that stayed for four years has gotten their degree on time. So we're, we're all on the same page. We all get what we're here for, and it, and it makes it easy to coach those guys. Now here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go one-on-one with the game's top coaches to find out what drives their success. My name is Dave Odom, and I'm pleased to be back here for the third week, and we're talking to one of the most highly successful coaches uh, in America today. First up is head coach of the Villanova Wildcats, probably the best-dressed coach in the country. My wife says the best looking coach in the country, Jay Wright. Jay, welcome to NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Thanks, David. Good to talk to you, man. I uh, love your wife for that because my wife doesn't say that anymore, so that's good. <laughs> well, maybe she ought to look I at me. Maybe maybe she'll hook in on me. I don't know. But uh, listen, I know Villanova basketball is hot. I know it's big in Philadelphia. It's not bigger than the Philadelphia Eagles this week. Super Bowl, week and a half away. What's it like in Philadelphia? Uh, you know what, David? You, you said it right. It, it's, Philadelphia is a, a really unique town. Um, we have six Division One basketball teams in town. It's a great college basketball town. So you could have on a Saturday afternoon, Temple could be playing at home uh, in North Philadelphia, and uh, they could have you know 12,000 people. St. Joe could be, this is like five miles away in this city, St. Joe could be sold out, and we could be at the Wells Fargo Center and have 20,000 people on the same day. The town loves college basketball. We have, um, we have six um, Division One head coaches that are committed to coaches versus cancer. We all work together. Uh, Phil Martelli and Fran Dunphy, they run it, but we're all in it with them. And we, we raise over a million dollars a year because people just love to be with the college coaches. They love to talk college basketball. Now, well, having said that, having said that, with all that going on, it doesn't come close to how big the Eagles are in this town. Even, <laughs> even when they're not going to the Super Bowl, even when they're not winning, um, it, it's an incredible phenomenon. It, and, and I joke about it all the time. It, it makes our job at Villanova the best in the country because you know, we get, you know, as a coach of Villanova and our players, they get connected to the Phillies and the Eagles and the Sixers and all that. You know, they get kind of treated that way. But it's not so overwhelming for me as the head coach. You know, you're just one of the guys in this town. But if you're the coach of the Eagles, forget about it. Doug Peterson can't go <laughs> anywhere. And now this place is insane. We we played a game uh, a couple weeks ago. It was classic. Um, I think we were number three in the country. It was like three weeks ago. Xavier was number 10 in the country. We played in the Wells Fargo Center, like 18,000 people. And Comcast, which is our local uh, cable provider and big in Philly, said to me, could you go on before the game, which they do a lot before our games. Could you go on like an hour before the game? We had this special show. I said, yeah. And they said, uh, we, we want you to talk about the Eagles. I'm like, well, like number three played number 10. They don't, they don't want to talk about it. And I said, I... I'm an Eagles fan. I would love to talk about the Eagles, but if we lose this game and the Villanova fans 
see me talking about the Eagles before the game, they'll kill me. <laughs> so I, I, I can't do it. But it, the town is upside down right now. It's pretty cool. Outside of your pavilion on campus, Wells Fargo Center downtown, is the Palestra still the favorite choice of every Philly fan? You know, it's, it's really interesting, David. In, in our era, my era, your era, everyone from, uh, you know, I would say everyone from 45 years old up, it's still the favorite. But, you know, with, with the way college basketball has changed and us playing at the Wells Fargo Center for a long time and Temple has a really nice on-campus facility, the Leah Chorus Center, and St. Joe's has now taken their big five games to their new on-campus facility called Hagen Arena, um, it, it's, it's still traditionally thought of as, as the mecca, uh, and people still love to go down there, but it's changing from our time. It, it really is. Mm. It's, it's interesting. It, it's still hollowed ground. It's still a place people respect, and when, when games are played there, you know, everybody gets fired up in the city, but they still play the, the high school city championship game there, the Catholic League city championship game. It's still a big deal, but it's not like it was, David. It's, it's a little sad. Yeah. Our team played there a couple, two or three times when I was coaching, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed running up the rocky steps and running down and shaking my fists, and we played Temple and we played Penn. It was, it was great. All right, let's turn our attention now to your team. Uh, not necessarily your team now, but just Villanova as a university, how you have decided to recruit to Villanova. Villanova is not a big state university. It's a, uh, a, a small liberal arts school that has a lot of culture and a lot of atmosphere. Academics are big there. Um, you won the uh, 2016 uh, national championship. Uh, you did it with um, a team that had been pretty much together for four years uh, tell us how you recruit. Uh, you, your team traditionally doesn't have a lot of what they call the one-and-done one and type players. You've been able to survive. There are other teams in the country like that. Nobody's done it better than you have. Well, th thanks, David. It, it's, um, it, it's a really special place. Villanova is a really unique place. You know, and It's grown so much over the years. Uh, one of the things about it is it, it has got an incredibly deep, passionate basketball tradition. Uh, the first Final Four ever played in 1939 was at the Palestra in Philadelphia. Villanova was in the first Final Four ever. Villanova's only had, since the early 1900s, has only had seven coaches. And every one of them has won big time. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a Catholic university, 6,500 undergraduates, 10,000 with graduate school, that just lives and breathes basketball all you know all year round um and and they've always always been successful um and they also have always taken pride in their academic uh endeavors and and that the basketball players are a part of the basketball the, the community um and it's it's something that the augustinian fathers who run the school were always a part of you know back in the the early days in the in the 50s when uh, the SEC would, you know, wouldn't allow black players to play there, you know, the Augustinian fathers kind of took some um, some black young men from the South 
up here, to, like, you know, f- feeling bad that they weren't given the opportunity. Well, it worked out great for them. You know, they became a part of the community, and they were great players. So they were always ahead of their time in basketball. They, they just and, – and always a community. And it's worked for us. You know, you talked about recruiting the one and done guys. I, there's a lot of those guys. We have recruited them. I want to make that clear. We just haven't gotten them. I, I try. But what we talk to them about is, you know, if you come here, you got to want to be a part of this community. You know, you, you, you got to want to be a student. Um, we, we have a great fan base that, hey, they, they want us to win all the time, but they want, us, they, they want our guys to, to be good students and to be a part of the culture of Villanova, too. So if they won and they weren't a part of it, they wouldn't appreciate that. And, and uh, if they were a part of it and did a good job but lost, they wouldn't like that either. So they, they know what they are, and, and that's what I love about this place. Um, there's certain kind of guys that this is perfect for. You've got to be a basketball junkie. You've got to love basketball. You've got to live it um, 24-7. You've got to be a good student, and you've got to want to be a part of a community, part of something bigger than yourself. And there's a lot of those guys out there. We've been, we've been blessed to have really good players. Um, you know, it's funny. Someone just said to me today, you know, the team that won the championship in 16, they, they said, well, you know, how did you do it without, you know, any NBA players on that team? Well, Ryan Archidiakono was playing in the NBA, and Daniel Chefu played in the NBA last year. He's in the G League this year, and some of the younger guys on that team are on our team now, and they're going to be playing in the NBA. So we did have NBA players. They were just young, and, and some of the older guys, they, they just weren't drafted you know they weren't first round drafters but they made it because they're really good players well you know if you go forward a year you know uh, you won it in 2016 with the players that you described and I think you could say pretty much the same thing uh in the 2017 uh final you had uh Roy Williams with North Carolina they actually won the thing and you know you act you beat them a year before and Gonzaga I think was the same type team so I think there's a lot to be said for uh, players that that play for four years, it gives you a chance to build that kind of culture. Um, I know I, in preparing for today's show, I was looking through your resume, and uh, somewhere I saw a blip, and this is one that you should be very proud. Every player that has stayed with, with you for four years has gotten their degree, and I know that's something that you trumpet every time you go into a, a living room someplace. Exactly. Um, it's It's something we talk about. When we recruit the guys, you know, we, we tell them, like, you, you got to want to be a student. You know, this is a high-level national university. You, you know, the university has grown over the years. We're one of the top 50 universities in the country, uh, national universities. And, um, it, and everyone here expects you to be a student. So it wouldn't be smart of me to bring someone in that I knew, you know, didn't want to be in the classroom, just wanted to play basketball. And they wouldn't enjoy it. So we, we go to find guys that say, look, we want you to come here and everyone's going to work with you here to get your degree. And every guy that stayed for four years has gotten their degree on time. You know, no one has to come in the summer, but um, you, you, you know, you got to want to do it. You got to, you got to want to work. And you know, a guy like Kyle Lowry, if you want to come and you're working towards your degree and you're good enough to be a first round pick, go, I'm, you know, I'm all for it, but just be the kind of person that your degree is valuable. You're going to want to come back and finish Michael Bradley, who, uh, was, was it, I think, the 17th pick in the draft uh, after his junior year, came back and finished his degree, and Kyle Lowry's working on finishing his degree. And um, and, and Jalen Brunson on the team this year, he'll leave after this year. He'll have graduated in three years. Um, Mikhail Bridges is a junior, 
eligibility-wise, and he will graduate after his junior year, uh, and he'll probably leave after this year. So it, it, the education part is important to us, and, uh, and it's important to the guys on our team. So we're, we're all on the same page. We all get what we're here for, and it, and it makes it easy to coach those guys. I got one other question, one other topic I want to hit with you, and then I'll let you go. You had great mentors ahead of you at Villanova. You had Roley. You had Mike, as in Fratello. You had Pete, as in Gillen. I mean, you had uh, you know Mitch Bonagura. All those guys were great Villanova-like guys. And and I think, am I am I right that they had a huge influence on the way you're doing things and the fact that you got there. You're now on the NABC ad hoc committee on men's basketball. There's a lot of things that are being considered right now. Talk to us about your, the mentorship of those guys and then maybe one or two of the things like the tra- proposal for transfers that, that everybody's talking about now. Well, you're right, David, and, and it, it all fits together. You, you did the same thing, and those guys, you know, you coached with all those guys and against those guys. You know them. They're, uh, the, the guys you mentioned, Pete Gillen and, and Mike Fratell, they, they came up under Roley Massimino, who, who I worked for, was my mentor. And, and one of the things – that, that uh, Coach Massimino learned from Chuck Daly. He was Chuck Daly's assistant, and, and, and Coach Daly was a part of, of us because Roley was a part of him, is that, um, you know, in this business, you're, you're responsible for much more than yourself. You know, and those guys, starting with Chuck Daly, you know, Coach Mass was his assistant. He'd always be around, but, you know, when we went to the Final Four in 09 and he was really ill, you know, he called me, the day before the, the semifinal against Carolina to give me a, a press break. You know, like, you know, those guys, they, they're always thinking about, hey, the guys that come up under me, I'm responsible for them. You know, I have to teach them uh, what the guys before me taught me. And it's not about you. You know, you, you're responsible for everybody else. And Mike Fratello always did that for me. Pete Gillen was always had a – you know, he's coaching other teams, but he always had a special relationship looking out for me because I was a part of Coach Massimino's family. And, and Coach Massimino was the best at that. You know, he always looked out for me till the day he passed. And, and um, I, you know, I miss him to this day. You know, I, I, I get in my car and I think, I got to call Coach Mass. You know, <laughs> I realize, wow, he's not here anymore. But he, Chuck Daly created that. Coach Mass continued that. I'm proud to be a part of it. And now, I hope I can do that for younger guys. And that goes to the point you're talking about what we're trying to do with college basketball. It's, it's a, you know, it's a really difficult time, but the fact that it is a difficult time, it, it also shows you how a big part of our society college basketball is. It's, there's so many great things still going on. And the coaches, we, we all take responsibility for what happened. Um, and we, we all want to make it better. We don't want to see anything like this happen again. Um, you know, one of my thoughts is, is, is and this is hard to do, I, I, I'd like to see there be some authenticity about college basketball, that we are caught coaching some kids that don't want to be in college, and it's not our fault. Um, the NBA's rules dictate that kids have to go to college for a year before they can be in the NBA draft. So it, it's not – it's not the kid's fault. It's not our fault. It's the NBA. You know, the NBA is creating this system that is forcing us to make room for kids 
that really don't want to be in school. They, they just want to be playing ball and getting to the NBA. So we have to take them, you know. And, um, you know, my, my thought is we have to get the NBA to take some responsibility for the game and not just their business of basketball. They have to say, look, we're benefiting from college basketball marketing these kids, and then they come to us and we make money. But let's try to help college basketball be authentic where the kids that are there want to be in college, they want to be students, and then they want to learn to be pros, and they want to get, get an education. And let's create an opportunity with the G League or kids being drafted out of high school where they can come out and make a decent living right out of high school, whether it be go to the G League or go to the NBA. Well, they don't want to do that with the G League because it's going to cost them money. But they, they, you know, they give them to us, and what happens is it's not just those kids. All the other kids think that they're in that position too. If, if we said, look, if you don't get drafted out of high school, then you have to go to college for three years, like baseball, then the kids would go to college and say, hey, I'm here. I'm gonna, I might as well get my degree. And, and the kids that, that don't want to be there can go and play in the G League or go to the NBA. I think that's really important, and uh, it's hard to do, but I think we've got to start calling out the NBA and saying, hey, you got a good gig here using college basketball. Please work with us for the good of the game, the good of the young people. I don't know that I've ever heard it put any better. I mean, that, that uh, hold the NBA accountable for the game and not just for making money. That's a great, great point. You made a bunch of great points, Jay, and – I can't tell you on behalf of the NABC how much we appreciate you being with us today on the podcast. Guardians of the game, there's no greater guardian of the game or anybody that cares any more about college basketball than Jay Wright. It's our pleasure to have had you here today. Thanks so much, and uh, go ahead and have a great year. Thanks, David. Thanks for all you've done uh, in coaching and for all of us and, and for staying in it. We appreciate it, buddy. You're a champ, my man. You're a champ. Take care, buddy. Next up on this week's episode of Guardians of the Game is Florida head coach Michael White. Welcome to the po- podcast, uh, Mike. And, you know, I know you're busy as you can be. you got a lot going on. Uh, SEC is a, a league right now that is very, very strong, top to bottom. Florida's right in the mix. Uh, I know you got tough games each and every night. Uh, there's no soft touches in that game. I want to talk to you, first of all, uh, about your path uh, getting to Florida. I know you were a student athlete. You grew up in uh, uh, the, kind of the throes of Ole Miss, and, uh, you know, that's a great, great academic school down there. You played basketball there at Ole Miss. Uh, you had an opportunity uh, to be a head coach there under Andy Kennedy. You learned a lot there. You went to Louisiana Tech. As a head coach, that was your first opportunity, and man, that was you—you you did a great job down there. You gained a reputation for your defense, your offense. Uh, you put it all together. You went into postseason play, and next thing you know, you're sitting there in Gatorland. You followed Billy Donovan down there. Billy Donovan—he uh, all he did was carved out uh, two national championships in in a row, and and there you are at 40 years of age. I mean, what's it like? I mean, that was a quick emergence right to the top. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Coach Odom. Uh, nowhere near the top, but very blessed to be here at the University of Florida. As you mentioned, a, a, a place that um, 
that uh, Coach Donovan made an unbelievable job. That's what this place is, and it's a it's it's one of the um, foremost athletic departments uh, in all of college athletics. Uh, there's a standard of excellence here um, in every sport. Um, every program here is successful, and we're very very fortunate to be here. Of course, um, doing our best to uh, maintain again some sort of uh, semblance of, of uh, all the success that, that Coach Donovan had. Uh, we've had our ups and downs uh, this season, of course. Um, but um, and and you mentioned the path to get here. You know, I guess to quickly answer your original question, Coach. You know, just uh, uh, I, I was really fortunate to to have worked with with some really good coaches and and have learned a lot over the years. Continue learning every day. Work with really good staff currently um we had some really good players at louisiana tech and um I, I, we had a terrific backcourt and a big kid named mike kaiser who was terrific for us and played in a really good league in conference usa and i guess just had enough success to where um jeremy foley made the call and and we jumped at at the opportunity and uh you know now it's 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 about uh, doing the best we can every day here and um getting better every day and um, you know, competing within, as you mentioned, an underrated and improving, very, very demanding SEC schedule. You're in uh, 40 years of age. You're young for to be in the position you're in. Um, but I think there's a tremendous advantage to being in a 40 and a head coach at a place like that because it seems to me like it would help you relate to the youth that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, not only as a basketball, as you know, college basketball is not just about coaching on the court. I mean, you've got to help manage their lives off the court. Have you found the fact that you're, you know, young for a head coach uh, to be an advantage for you as you bring in some of your players and you talk to them about uh, their lives and and, um, you've tried to encourage them to be great students and great people and um, maybe – graduate and go on out and and uh, find their way in the world the youth that you have does that help you relate to the uh, the youth that you're coaching well I, I like to think so coach um I, I like to think that uh i'm not too far removed and my staff isn't too far from removed uh, in addition because we've got a very young staff um uh, from where these student athletes um are today, you know, um, the, 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 the moment that they're in today, the, the lives that they're living, we were all living those lives 20 years ago. And so, um, we like to think that we've got a certain level of uh, familiarity, um, can connect with our guys. Uh, but I don't know that it's an advantage over other staffs. I mean, you, I think that there are a lot of veteran staffs out there that, that connect just as well, uh, if not better, you know, you, you look at a guy like, um, um, uh, Coach K, of course, with with uh, the relationship that that, that we have and that, that my family has with uh, with that program, um, you know, just just an example to throw out there. I mean, I think a lot of the veteran coaches, guys that have been around for forever and and won a million games, um, have have an ability um, to obviously connect and relate uh, and mentor at the highest level. Um, ours. The way that we connect, I, I guess, may be a little bit unique and a little bit different because we are younger. We just, again, try to do the best we can um, and, and try to be 
mentor figures as best we can uh, on the court, but especially, as you mentioned, off the court. It's, it's more important. It's about these guys growing into men, uh, which self-servingly obviously helps them become better basketball players. Um, you know, you, you try to instill discipline in, in these guys and accountability and, and, and teach teamwork and uh, selflessness and, and all the things that all of us are trying to instill in our young men uh, and at the same time trying to help them grow um, again, more importantly, as men. Mike, you, you mentioned uh, your family's relationship to the Duke program, and of course everybody knows your dad's one of the great athletic directors in the, in the country. Uh, that would be Kevin White. And of course, you've got a brother that's the athletic director right there in the state of Florida, at Central Florida. But yet, you went, you went a little bit different. There in administration, you went to the actual teaching and the coaching of the game. How did you... Uh, how did you gain an interest in that and decide to take that track as opposed to going into administration? First off, I just coach. I never saw coaching and being around the game as working, you know, so call me lazy, but I feel like I'm stealing money, getting paid for doing this on a daily basis. And secondly, I'm not as smart as my brothers. I knew I'd have to get a master's to go into administration. I had no interest in getting a master's or you know if I could even achieve one. Uh, but ultimately, just, just the love of the game, Coach. Just, um, again, an opportunity to be around this thing every day and compete at the highest level. And never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined uh, being the head coach at the University of Florida. It was just getting into coaching, just being a Division One assistant coach. That was goal number one. And um, I was able to – I was afforded an incredible opportunity by Michael Plant at Jacksonville State University and then to be brought back to my alma mater by Rod Barnes. Uh, who's a terrific coach at Ole Miss and be retained by Andy Kennedy, who I continue to learn a lot from, as I did those other guys. You know, it's been a whirlwind. Um, it's crazy how we all sometimes choose our paths, sometimes fall into our paths, um, and, and sometimes people change paths. And, and fortunately, um, I haven't had to change my path. Um, I've just uh, I've, I've been again very very fortunate, and uh, ultimately being here uh, is it was beyond my wildest dreams. You started out. This is your second uh, head coaching uh, uh, job, and I, I was—I would suspect that somebody like you is searching for ways that you can be a better coach next year than you were last year. You go through a period of self-evaluation, staff evaluation each year. How do you do that? What are the, some of the things that some of the ways that you can uh, maybe improve yourself as a head basketball coach? at the very highest level of college basketball? Well, Coach, I, I, I'm far from having the answers, of course. And as, as you know, you know, at, at 40, um, I feel like I'm a lot better than I was at 35, uh, but but nowhere near uh, where some of these other guys are uh, that, that we're competing with and nowhere near where I, where I hope to be at, at 45. And I think that it's a daily process for our guys to evolve and develop as it is for my assistant coaches, as it is for myself. And it's not only annually, Coach. It's, it's daily. Um, and, and, again, I don't know that, that this is the right answer. I don't know that other programs do this, but I imagine a lot do where uh, we meet just about daily um, after a win, after a loss, after a good practice, after a bad practice. And, and we ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Should we do it this way? Why is this not working? Why is this working? Should I have called this play? Why are we running this? Um, should we zone more? Uh, how do we teach it? Should we, are we better off teaching it this way? Uh, so I, I, I think that um, the the one.
one of the, the more exciting things that we do uh, outside of helping these guys develop individually and collectively is is getting better as a program and getting better as a staff and learning and evolving and, and becoming better ourselves as well. Your team finished one game short of the Final Four last year. How'd you cope with that disappointment? How'd you help your players get through it? Uh, how has it motivated you and your players to be better this year than you were last year, understanding there are no guarantees? Yeah, we we, we celebrated the season that we had. We we thought we we um, we did some really good things, and and uh, we we could, we felt like we recreated some of the some of the culture that, that's been here for a long time. That again, Coach Donovan had amazing success, and we were a game short, but. Um, Huge disappointment, but at the end of the day, we we got back to Gainesville and, and celebrated that senior class that laid it on the line and got better throughout the year and made a lot of sacrifices for each other. This year is a completely different team, and um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have to have used the the falling short a bit uh, as as a piece of motivation, but we're nowhere near uh, being an Elite Eight team that's close to getting to a Final Four, so it's not it's not something that we're even able to use. And I'm not sure we'll be able to use it. You know, this, this is a this is a team currently that's got a lot of deficiencies, especially defensively. Um, but as a program, you know, it's it's nice to be able to say that, that we were close and we were knocking on the door, and um, we, we did some good things, and uh, we, we we tasted it, and um, and hopefully uh, we can we can use it moving forward um, as as a learning experience in terms of a lot of the things that. We could have done a little bit better, but a lot of things that we did well to put us in that position. Uh, Mike, uh, you um, you know, you're in a situation now where you kind of view some of the landscape of college basketball a certain way. Uh, I know you're more concerned about coaching your team than you are anything else, but you got to be concerned when you hear things about there's a proposal out there that would allow student-athletes to transfer without sitting out. How do you view that? Uh, how does that uh, if, uh, kind of go back in, in time? Uh, you were at Louisiana Tech. How would the fact that student athletes would be allowed to transfer without sitting out affect you sitting in that chair? And then also, now that you're at Florida, Power 5 school, how would it affect you sitting in the chair that you're in now as head coach? Is, is there any different? Do you like that rule? Do you like that proposal? Are you against it? It's okay whichever way you go. No, sure, Coach. And I, I hate to take the, the easy way out. I don't mean to dodge it. I guess my first thing would be, as as you're hearing more and more about it right now in the middle of the season, I just hadn't had a chance to really step back and gather facts and information, positives, negatives, pros, cons, what have you. At the end of the day, it's about the student athlete and you know, if if that's what's best for the student athlete, um, and you know, I think at that point it's a matter of, of getting everyone else on board um, and and moving forward, and 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 it's that simple. Um, I, I will, you know, I guess circling back to answer your question, I think there's there'd be positives and negatives at, at both places. Um, without putting a lot of thought to it. I think that it would probably there would probably be more negative um, when when sitting in the mid-major seat uh, in terms of 
uh, being able to hold on to your guys and um, and, and maintain uh, some continuity within your roster. Looking backward three years ago, sitting at Louisiana Tech, hoping every spring um, I'd be able to hold on to my guys that, that I knew I was fortunate to have in Conference USA. That would be very, very nerve-wracking, of course. But you also want guys that, that want to be there, you know. And um, I guess sitting in this seat here, uh, you'd have the, the potential to uh, every spring go out and recruit guys from from other rosters. I, I'm, I would imagine it would be – the level of uh, mid-major to high-major transfers would increase, uh, but I also think I also think you'd, you'd probably have more high-major to high-major transfers as well. So um, a lot to take in. Um, you know, that's just I guess my my uh, my abbreviated evaluation uh, at this point. And a very good evaluation it was. All right, I'm gonna close it out with something on the light side. Now, you got to be honest with this because everybody's going to hear it. There's a rumor out there that Mike White may not be the best athlete in his family. And he's got a wife who is a former star volleyball player. Be honest now, who's the best athlete in the family? Oh, there, that's not a rumor. I, I was a role player at Ole Miss amongst really good players who was going to file you 10 times a game in hopes they'd only call four just to stay on the floor. And my wife, Kira, was an all-SEC volleyball player who was a terrific athlete. So uh, all-SEC versus role player, not even close. <laughs> Good answer. That, uh, that'll get you dinner tonight when you get home for sure. But uh, listen, Mike, uh, thanks again for being part of the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Um, I also want to Remind everybody that we had a great guest earlier today, Jay Wright. We thank him as well. Uh, it's kind of been a bonanza for us today. We've had two great coaches, Jay Wright from Villanova, Mike White from Florida. Um, thanks to both of them. They've given us valuable time. And we look forward to being back uh, with everyone again in another week for the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast.